0: And welcome to Are You faux Real? My name's Tom, and with me as always is Grant. Hey guys. <laughs> so today we're going to go ahead and discuss an oldie but a goodie. A uh, little incident called the Allagash Abductions. This topic was actually requested by one of our biggest fans. Uh, you, might have, you might actually know this person. It's me. <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> fan of this story. I saw it in Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid. And it was really scary. Um, so we're going to go over this. Grant did a super deep dive into this topic, and I'm grateful for that. And I can't wait to get into it. So uh, remember, if there's ever a topic that you guys would like to hear us discuss, then just let us know by leaving us an iTunes review or shooting us an email at Podcast at com. That's R U F O.
1: <laughs> yeah, the most confusing. Um, yeah, name. that
0: was super confusing. It's A-R-E-U-F-O-R-E-A-L P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And we'll shouldn't see it we be do. are
1: UFOs real?
0: No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um like I said, the story we're gonna discuss today is a very famous UFO abduction case that has a lot of classic tropes. Um You know, people alone in the woods, lost time, lost memories, uh, recovered memories, hypnosis, lie detectors and super creepy aliens seemingly conducting tests and collecting samples from their unwilling human specimens.
1: Yeah, this case reminded me a lot of the Travis Walton case, the one that the movie Fire in the Sky was loosely based on. Um, we'll have to release our recording of the episode that we did on that incident soon, so that our listeners can be caught up on that one too. Yeah. Um, you know, full disclosure, we we recorded that as our trial episode and didn't think it was up to snuff for public consumption. But obviously, if you've been listening to us, we don't really care anymore about quality. So <laughs> ultimately, uh, yeah, I don't think it's much worse than the ones we have been releasing. Um, still using a lot of pronouns, although I'm looking into that in the writing and stuff to to not use that. And I know what they're called this week because I think I used the wrong term for it. Yes, I think time, he said acronym, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which who cares? Is incorrect. We're humans. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: aliens aren't humans, but well, this you is and I on, are humans. This is going
1: on my permanent record, so I want to not sound like an idiot if I can. But I think it's we all know it's a little late for that.
0: You're too hard on yourself, dude.
1: Okay, so we should probably just uh, yeah, we should post that episode. I think I'll I'll just do that next week. You know, it's it's an interesting one and a classic and. I'm sure all our listeners know all about it already, but uh, we we went pretty deep on that one too, I think. We sure did. Um, Anyway, the Allagash abduction event occurred on the night of August 20th, 1976, to twin brothers Jim and Jack Wiener and their friends and fellow students at the Massachusetts College of Arts, Charles Foltz and Chuck Rack, while they were on a fishing trip together deep in the Allagash wilderness in Maine. And I love saying Chuck Rack. I think it's a cool name. Yeah, he is. I think it's Charlie Fultz a lot of the times, too. But, you know, Charles, Charlie, whoever. And then, uh, so from what I understand, the Allagash is an expansive area of thick forest. They actually had to hire a small plane to get to the area they wanted to go fishing in. Uh, They spent a week or so hiking through the woods. So this was in the middle of the wilderness, basically. Right. That's what I want to emphasize. I've never been there. But um, a couple of days before, I mean, meaning May, not the Allagash itself, Anyway, you understand what I mean. <laughs> um, so a couple of days before they reached Big Eagle Lake, where the alleged abduction occurred at the Mudbrook campsite, they saw a UFO off in the distance, basically looking like it was in the area of Eagle Lake. Um, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so there were two but-
0: two incidents, I guess you could say. There was an initial sighting of a weird light, and then,
1: well... We're all about to find out, right? Right. Yeah, they saw it, um, and it looked like it was in the legal, the, the legal, the legal Eagle Lake area. But uh, so there were other witnesses around that also saw the UFO at that time, which looked like a bright light, kind of like a very bright star. Um, Jim Weiner was looking at it through his binoculars, and while they were watching it, the object seemed to wink out. Basically, the outer edges drew into the middle until the object was gone.
0: Like a lens.
1: Yeah, basically like, like an the, iris closing is the, right. the metaphor that he always uses. Scary. Yeah. To be able
0: to actually perceive that, too. That means it must have been big enough. If, you know, for a light to, to be able to perceive something blinking out like that. Mm-hmm. I'm using lots of hand gestures right now that are pointless. <laughs> right. But it seems like that would imply that the light was big enough for them to perceive that. Because if the light well, wasn't big enough...
1: Well, and actually, was, I think that only Jim Wiener really saw that at that time because um, he was looking at it through binoculars. So. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, I see your point, yeah. And that's just, it's kind of an otherworldly thing, you know, <laughs> just yeah. to see a light like that wink wink out and draw in on itself like that. Um, So then the group continued deeper into the woods until they reached Big Eagle Lake. <laughs> Big Eagle Lake. Uh, one night they decided to do some night fishing on the lake. They built up a huge bonfire so that they could find the campsite again from the water. They wanted it to last a long time, so they built it up three to six feet, depending on who you ask. The fire? They yeah, brought. yeah. It's a pretty big bonfire, <laughs> it's a right? Six foot fire. I mean, I've heard differing accounts on that, but uh, yeah, it was, everyone said it was huge. Basically.
0: Okay, so this must be just for perspective. I mean, the lake itself is probably pretty, pretty huge too. If they need a. Uh
1: yeah um i mean you can look it up look up eagle lake maine in uh in the maps and uh yeah it's it's pretty bad i mean it's hard to tell the scale really but uh yeah it's a big lake uh just looking at maine i'm not familiar with maine at all but uh it looks like a lot of wilderness and a lot of lakes up there too you it know? does look very very wild yeah um so anyway uh you know they want to do some night fishing um They all loaded into their canoe and headed out into the lake. Jim Wiener describes the forest there to be very silent and pitch black at night, so it's difficult to even see your hand in front of you six inches away. Yeah, Um,
0: that makes sense, too. I mean, this was back in 76.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the (laughs) middle of the woods, you know. Uh, I can imagine the night sky must have looked looked amazing, you know, Uh, with all the stars out and stuff. But he said, yeah, there's no crickets, there's no bullfrogs or any I mean, no frogs in general. And uh, so it's pretty silent, you know, maybe an occasional lark or oh, whatever God. kind of birds out there. Um, Super scary. Uh, I'd imagine this would make it very difficult to fish, too, especially, you know, they describe the lake as having a lot of submerged trees or deadfall sticking up out of the water, which sounds creepy anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I mean, personally, I'd probably be creeped out. I'm not much of an outdoorsman, but... Just being out out in the middle of a lake at night like that with logs all around and stuff um, would creep me out. So the, the group had just begun fishing when they noticed a light looking very much like the one they had spotted a few days ago rise up and start to move silently about 15 to 20 feet over the trees in the distance in the nearby forest. This time the light was much closer so that they could make out more details. The object was a lighted sphere as big as a house. Jim Weiner described the light as yellowish white, and it seemed to have a wavy roiling effect on its surface. Uh, Jim Weiner is an expert in pottery and said that the object reminded him of the effect you see when you look into a 2300 degree Fahrenheit kiln. And the atmosphere inside is like a, a liquid plasma, kind of. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or like when you're looking at it. I imagine like a, looking at it like a. I don't know, like a log in the fire or whatever, where you see like rippling. effects. Yeah. And stuff, yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. I was going to use that exact same metaphor, but yeah.
1: It's kind of interesting because it reminds me of when Bob Lazar was talking about how the craft would light up because the air around it would get so hot. Uh, You remember that? Yeah. And kind of light up like plasma or something, I think is what he said, but I don't remember. Um, But anyway, when the object was approximately 100 yards away from the boat, for some reason, Charles Fultz picked up a flashlight and flashed an SOS at the craft to see if it would react. Uh, almost immediately the craft stopped moving and then emitted a shaft of light downwards, which started coming towards the group of friends in the boat. Jim Weiner describes it as looking like a beam of light, except that it was odd in that it kind of extended down from the craft and looked kind of solid. Uh, did I say Jim or Jack?
0: You said Jim, but I uh, believe yeah, it's yeah. Jack. Yeah. Sorry. About.
1: Jack yeah. Weiner, his brother. Uh, so he, yeah, he described it. He would, he in particular seemed kind of obsessed with how the light looked and, uh, It's hard to imagine, but he kept saying that it looked like solid. It looked like light, but it was solid. So I I don't even know it. So he couldn't see through it,
0: I guess, or it wasn't.
1: I'm not sure. I guess what he means is just what what he says right there. Like instead of just light flowing down and diffusing it, it was like a solid tube with a a bottom like like a bottom extended down. Yeah, kind of like like a slow motion lightsaber. Yeah. I mean, they, they do describe it as like a pipe of light or like a tube of light. Okay. Everyone kind of says that. Um, But anyway, yeah, extended down from the craft and looked kind of solid in that you could see the bottom of the shaft as it moved down, unlike with normal light. Obviously, this alarmed the group, and they all started paddling for the shore to get away from the object. Uh, Jack Wiener said he started paddling with his hand away from the UFO. Dear God. Then when he turned back around after a split second, the craft was already right behind him, and the beam was almost on top of him. Um, Jim Weiner d- differs on this account a little bit he actually says that almost as soon as they flash the object with the flashlight a beam of light shone directly at them from the craft he also he's, says that he hesitates to call it a beam of light as it had a strange effect to it and it was more like a tube of light so that kind of matches what he's saying but uh, what Jack was saying but Jim also explains that he thought the object was a good distance away and he started paddling and then a few seconds later when he turned to look the object was suddenly right on top of them So the silent object moved incredibly fast. And I think it's worth examining why they decided to signal the craft. I think every podcast I've listened to discussing this is like, why (laughs) on earth would you do that? (laughs) And Jim actually explains this in an interview. So I I don't know that I would want to start communicating with a huge fiery ball of plasma that was lighting up the night sky in a silent (laughs) and pitch black forest while sitting in the middle of a lake in a small aluminum boat. Um, just the thought of seeing something like that kind of freaks me out, and, as I said, just sitting in a boat in a lake in the pitch black is kind of scary, but uh Jim Weiner explains that it was his idea to do it. He says that he remembered a time a few years before when he was out in the woods with some friends, and they got lost and saw some lights in the sky and After they signaled it with a flashlight, one of the lights signaled back to them, so for some reason, he thought it would be a good idea to do it again <laughs> um he isn 't ex- he isn't clear if they were rescue helicopters or something like that, or if he had, that he had counted before when he gives this story or if it was actually another UFO experience. So I thought that was a little confusing either way. I don't know why you would, I mean, unless they were like,
0: I was going to say if I had a belly full of whiskey or something like that, yeah. And then,
1: uh, that's all I could see is like, you know, four that's the only young time 20 something that would... guys aching each other on like, Oh, we should do something or, you know, but, uh, and for the record, they, they, Claim not to have had bellies full of whiskey, so, uh, so yeah. Anyway, for some reason they figured it was a good idea to flash SOS at a fiery ball in the sky, <laughs> <laughs> and to flash SOS too. It's like right, even if it was like some craft, they're like, we need help. <laughs> yeah, the craft's like, <laughs> don't worry, I will help you right, right now. Maybe, uh, anyway, uh, so suddenly the canoe hit the beach at the camp, and they were aground. They got got out of the boat and turned around, and the UFO was hovering just off of the beach over the water, about thirty feet or so with the pillar of lights pointing straight down. Jack Wiener said he felt like he was half asleep when they got back to the shore, which was odd since he had just been full of adrenaline. At this point, Charlie Foltz states that he picked up a flashlight again and flashed SOS at the craft a second time. This time the craft started flying away up into the sky at about forty five degree angles. At about a forty five degree angle. Jim Wiener says that it kind of winked out from the outside in like the iris on a camera lens closing, as it did before, and it is a little confusing the way he describes it. But basically, it uh, it reappeared further away. Then it would shine this beam up at about forty-five degrees, follow the beam up, and then wink out and reappear again much further away, and we keep repeating this. And he said it was completely silent and really fast, so that in a matter of seconds, it was uh, in a matter of seconds, it was so far away that it just looked like a star in the sky. Then it zoomed off until they couldn't see it anymore past the tree line. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> high strangeness there.
0: <laughs> high levels of strangeness, high levels of fear. We're right. Getting, you know,
1: I'm, I'm a bit
0: stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I'm having flashbacks to my experience as a child watching this on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. It's really unnerving to me. Like, J- regardless of what you think about the veracity of this so far, like, mm-hmm. just, I don't know. No, that's a uh, yeah. that's a scary story. That's a very I mean. that's a terrifying scenario for me. A city a city dweller too. I've only been camping in the serious wilderness like maybe once or twice, and I don't even know if that, I've been in, that, in the serious wilderness honestly. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I did a canoeing trip in Michigan and overnight, and you know we pulled over, <laughs> we pulled the canoe off the river, and <laughs> you know went out in, in the woods, and it yep. was it was pretty it was it was fun, but.
1: Kind of eerie and yeah, it was beautiful. It was an alien. It was
0: an uh, an alien landscape to me.
1: I mean, just the idea of being alone and and basically helpless in the middle of a lake in a canoe and and seeing this thing, being alone with this thing, you know, that's crazy.
0: Um, I would have needed some serious liquid courage to flash an SOS at something
1: like that, too. And yeah, yeah, that's the. I mean, nobody understands why they did that. You know. If anything, I think that's the number one piece of evidence that the story was made of, because <laughs> that's crazy. Um, I don't think I wrote it in this script I have here that I'm reading off of, but uh, I believe Charlie Foltz is a uh, was a veteran of the the Navy or the Air Force, maybe. But
0: okay, so he he did, did
1: say like the only that's the only Morse code he knew was SOS. But it's like I don't know man. That's I mean it seems irresponsible if you see a light in the sky to flash SOS if you don't need help anyway. But true. Um, even if it's a a tiny sun, like hundreds of yards a away, a roiling from. sun, yeah. <laughs> um, and Jim did mention when they, you know, when they were back on the landing and they turned around and it and it was hovering there. He said it was like it was basically close enough to be able to throw a stone at it, you know. So, yeah, nope. yeah crazy. And nope. the, these guys are all artists too, so I I don't have any links. I I didn't actually post any links of the uh, the artwork and stuff because it's kind of scattered around. I. The Wiener brothers have like an art page, but it doesn't have a lot on there. But anyway, there's a lot of drawings and sketches they all did of them and mm-hmm. stuff, which I've I'll, seen them. Which I'll get into a yeah. little bit. So it's, okay. it's cool, you know, but, um, so anyway, I've, I've actually heard, uh, many different accounts of how they arrived on the shore. There's little details that people say like some, you know, the brother, the, the parties involved say basically like they, they suddenly hit up on shore, but a lot of people have said they just like, they were just back on the shore or, maybe I'm assuming that, that means they were standing there, but I've, I've heard them where Yeah. Some of them are sitting there standing on shore and then like, uh, Chuck rack was still sitting in the boat. Um, but this is how the Wiener brothers and Fultz describe it. So I'll stick with their firsthand accounts. Um, as I said, other variations have them suddenly standing on the shore and sometimes Chuck rack will be back in the canoe. I think this will be a little important later, but, uh, Either way, in all accounts, they suddenly find themselves safely back at camp, and then the craft zooms away. So everyone agrees on that. Uh, The campfire was burnt out, and they were all exhausted, so they went to sleep. Jim Wiener mentions how it was odd that the fire had died down since they could see that it was still blazing when they had been paddling back to the campsite, but none of them even mentioned it to each other that night. They were just exhausted, and everybody went to bed without really discussing anything. It seems like they were in some kind of daze or something. Uh, the next morning, they were talking about what they had seen as they as they broke camp and moved on to the next campsite. And um, again, there's little details here. Like the next night, they, the three of the the three interviews I I really did was Jim and Jack Wiener and um, and Foltz. So they they kind of differ on this a little bit. But Jack he goes into detail, which is weird because it's it's not really what the other guys say. But uh, he he thinks they were kind of in shock and. Um, and they kind of just all agreed to like pack up and leave, but they kind of like, I don't even know. Cause he doesn't really explain himself that well in this interview, but he, he says they all like got in the boat and just took off without their belongings. And they were kind of like just in shock and like a daze and like, and then they got caught up on some dead wood and then they, they kind of snapped out of and were like, what are we doing? We got to go back and get our stuff, you know? So,
0: Oh wow. I'd never heard that before.
1: And, um, so- I guess we'll expand on a little bit, but I've, I've heard things about psychedelics and stuff, which that kind of that would make sense if they just got up and did psychedelics and or something, or if they were still in days from that, you know, but.
0: And they were all under some kind of, um, group hallucination, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, My yeah, I don't know. That's not how I mean, I don't, I don't think work. any of that had to do with the the group hallucination about a ball or anything, but just like how they would be in a, like, just weird. How they're like, Hey, let's go. And they got in the boat and they're like, wait, we forgot our stuff or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I don't know they seem like pretty experienced campers and
0: oh I'm sure and and the fact that they were that someone was willing to drop them off in a plane speaks to that I'm sure like
1: yeah <laughs> and- Well I actually read I think Chuck Rack might have been like their guide too but but I, I it, the accounts I've read also say he's their friend so maybe it's both you know a little bit of both but I don't know hmm. Um anyway that day they saw a ranger and this gets a little confusing too but I I thought it was worth mentioning um, most of this comes from Jim Weiner, but they saw a ranger and told him about what they had seen. And the ranger said that they probably saw some Hollywood searchlights that were being used for the grand opening of a hardware store over in Millinocket, which was about 90 miles away and blocked by a mountain about one mile high. So it doesn't really match their description too closely. Although,
0: God, they'll hire anybody as a ranger. In- <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Jim Weiner uh, says the ranger said that the light would bounce off of the atmosphere. Um, but Jim makes it clear that he got the impression that the ranger was lying to them and that he was aware of what they were talking about. He thinks it had probably been reported to the ranger before or something, or a lot of people had seen it. Um, I don't know. That's all speculation. You know, he, he seems to like hint at like some kind of, some kind of ranger. Conspiracy. Alien conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. He, I didn't, I didn't write it in here either, but he, he talks about, um, oh, well, actually I, I wrote a little bit on it, but. Yeah, well, here, let me read this. Um, Jim Weiner also mentions that earlier in the trip, a different ranger, let's see if we can follow this here. So a different ranger had told them not to go into the area due to it being dried out and unavigable, unnavigable. And uh, the campers blew them off because they knew that was where the good fishing spot was, and they figured they would go there even if they had to walk. Uh, then later in the trip, after the UFO experience, a different ranger advised that recently a storm had been through the area and dropped a bunch of water so that there was no rapids right now since the rocks were covered up because he was asking about rapids and, and trying to find a way through. Um, when Jim Weiner questioned the ranger about the discrepancy between what the other ranger had told him, the ranger asked him if he was one of those guys that claimed to see a UFO. And then when they answered yes, he just turned around and walked off. <laughs> so Okay. Yeah. Um, Wiener also mentions another ranger talking about a military program that was going on in the area, and seems to think the rangers knew more than more about what was going on than you know what, than they were letting on. Uh, if that makes sense, and he's not saying that the so the, these
0: rangers are either incredibly bright and in the know or they're doofuses, yeah, <laughs> And have no idea about <laughs> about you know weather in the area or one of them is completely right misinformed or
1: I mean on obviously they were. You know, when they saw the, the thing far away, they were with other people around in the campground. You know, it wasn't as a remote area as as the Eagle Lake spot was, where apparently everyone was blocked from going anyway. So they were the only ones out there. But then, he says that a ranger came through to pick up the litter like that morning. So that's another thing that doesn't really match with what, um, what Jack was saying about them just taking off and stuff. So it's it's kind of strange. So um,
0: wait, a ranger came to pick up litter.
1: Yeah, just so bears wouldn't come through. Oh, and uh, tear everything up or whatever. But yeah, he said he came through and then that's when that's the guy that said it was like the Millinocket lights and stuff. And they reported what they what they had seen to him, you know, and then I guess the next time they talked to a ranger, he had like known all about their report and he was wondering why. And then that led to this military experiment, which had to do with um, the military putting like a little transponder or something in the subcutaneous tissue, like just under the skin and um so that they could track troops on the ground or something and then i mean this is all jim this is probably confusing but yeah jim was hypothesizing that that maybe that had like attracted the craft or or the military was was thinking that the craft was attracted by it, you know so anyway yeah vast conspiracies going on wow i mean it it makes sense to me where they're like, "Oh, these are the guys that keep talking about UFOs and they're probably just out here doing drugs or something, you know? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so that, that's the story initially. Uh, and then they just finished their camping trip and headed home and they're happy, but, uh, happy campers. But then, then things get a little weird after that, but, uh, let's take a break and then we'll, we'll come back good. and talk about what they discovered later. Indeed. <laughs> Hey guys, sorry to butt into the conversation here, but I just wanted to tell you about our sponsor, CBG Dub Cigar Box Guitars. Uh, As the sole proprietor, I I hand make these guitars myself. I'm really proud of them. They're made from old cigar boxes, but as you can hear, they sound good plugged in. They sound good acoustic. Um, They come in, or they come with a hand-cut bottleneck slide that I make myself, um, they're just a lot of fun to play. They're set up for slide guitar. I, I like to think of them as a, as a slide training guitar. Uh, make a great gift for any musician, and they, they look really good just hanging on the wall, too. I think they're kind of a piece of art, you know. Um, you can find us at Etsy.com, where I also offer free shipping. Um, just search for CBGdub at Etsy.com. That's a CBG as in cigar box guitar, and then DUB. And um, right now, I'm offering my listeners, until the end of the year, 15% off with a coupon code UFOPOD at checkout. So that's U-F-O-P-O-D. I put it in all caps, but I don't know if that really matters. But anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Take care. And we're back. Hi, everyone. Hey guys. All right. So where are we uh, at now? Okay. So so basically, yeah, they they just had this crazy sighting and then went on with their lives. Um, but two years after this strange experience, Jim Wiener had an injury where he fell down a story and his spine rammed into his skull, which caused him to have <laughs> epilepsy. <laughs> That's so funny. But basically, yeah, he was uh he was working as an electrician an electrician and he was looking for the electrical box and he went into this little closet, but it was actually like a like a landing way or whatever, where there's supposed to be stairs going down, but instead there was a hole that he just stepped he into. Just and, fell, right?
0: I'm not laughing at his yeah, horrible yeah. misfortune there. I'm just laughing at the matter of factness of that sentence right there, where you're saying, yeah, he fell down a story and his spine rammed into his skull. And caused him to have
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. He fell like straight down and his spine got, got jammed up, you know, which Wait. sounds really painful. No, but, um,
0: no frills, man. Just, just facts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God.
1: Um, so he began to have vivid nightmares where he would wake up terrified, which would bring on seizures. Uh, he doesn't really go into too much detail about the nightmares, but I believe they involved vague dark figures around him while he was in uh, while he was paralyzed and helpless.
0: So that's a common sleep paralysis. Uh, yeah, what's yeah. It called? That's a common symptom of sleep paralysis.
1: Yeah, I mean a lot of UFO abductions seem a lot like sleep paralysis, which is a crazy thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Jim went to a doctor to discuss his seizures and mentioned his nightmares, which led him to talk to the psychiatrist there. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of glossed through this stuff, but, uh, after Weiner explained his dreams to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist advised that he was friends with John Mack, who is a leading researcher and writer on UFO abduction experiences and. He said those dreams seemed similar to the things that Mac had been talking about and asked if Jim had ever had any strange experiences, which led Jim to mention what had happened to them at the Al-A-Gash. Uh He told all of this to his brother, Jack Weiner, as well, and, and Jack advised that he had also been having similar horrible nightmares. Apparently, Jack had already been telling this to his wife, so there's some kind of proof there. Um, so basically, yada, yada, yada. This led Jim Weiner to get in contact with UFO researcher Raymond Fowler at a UFO conference. And all the group had to be hypnotically regressed in order to try to remember what had happened to them. And I glance over, but it does seem strange. Like, I think I heard this mentioned in another podcast. Like he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, Hey, you should talk to this UFO guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, anyway. That's
0: not something you expect a man of science to, uh, to refer you to. Yeah. But hey. An open-minded doctor, I guess.
1: And and they specifically said it was two years after that the injury happened, but I think the nightmares started coming on later. You know, so it's probably like a few. I mean, who knows how many years while he's recovering from this injury, this horrible injury, and then he starts having these nightmares. Uh, I think this was more like eight or ten years later, and um, and that started leading to like a lot of seizures. You know, of course. So, hmm. and that's when he started talking to his doctor. But basically, this. By the time they're doing the regression, it was about 12 years or so. I, I didn't get the exact dates after the tr- camping trip, but in, in 1988, I think they were done with the regressions and stuff, or is when they kind of came up to the public. Okay. And uh, if you'll remember, it was in 76 when they had the sighting. So Yeah. So a lot of time has passed. You know, <clears throat> um, The Allagash Four, as they came to be called, all agreed to be regressed separately and not to discuss among each other what had happened, or which what had been revealed, not what had happened to them um, individually during the hypnosis session. So they all, they all went solo, you know, and then, um, it took about a year and a half to interview everyone. And afterwards Fowler called them all together and revealed that they had all basically told the same story with some minor variations and a few little details. Um, they had all drawn the same types of creatures and relayed a story of being taken aboard the craft and watching their friends undergo painful and humiliating examinations by strange creatures. So there's so just to be super clear, every single one of them did this. Yeah, every yeah. Every single one of them. It's um, basically yeah, you know, it's like okay, we're gonna do this on you, but we're researching this, you know. So don't share each other. We don't want you to influence each other with your stories. And then he also asked them to to draw what they remembered, you know, soon at basically right after, so that they okay. could document everything because they're all artists, remember? Yes. I'll, I'll probably say that again. Oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, it was hard for me to really find details of what happened. But there, w- yeah, what I really wanted when I started this, too, is because because everyone knows the story, but I wanted the details about what exactly had, had happened to them or what they remembered, you know, which was was hard to come by. And it seems like a lot of the podcasts I listen to kind of gloss over that, you know, it's just like, yeah, they were taken by aliens. And I mean, they get into detail. And we'll get into a little detail here, too. But it, it was hard for me to to really piece together the story and. Well, anyway, let me continue on the script here. But So, um, it's hard for me to find details of what happened, but there was the typical story of the aliens communicating telepathically to the four men and basically controlling them physically. Each man sat naked and waited while they would watch the other man get examined one after the other.
0: Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It is kind of funny, yeah.
0: Oh, God. Like in a, in a violating assembly line that's horrifying. It
1: occurred to me last night when I was finishing up this script, too, that, like, what happened with their clothes? Like, do they remember taking those off and putting them back on or were they just like magically out of their clothes and then back in their clothes? I think um, that's
0: the most likely scenario.
1: Yeah. 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 Me too, but that just seems crazy too, you know? Um, So the creatures seem to take fluid samples and skin scrapings and insert probes and all the usual stuff you hear, you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, I got to use that more in these, when writing these. Um, but the the room seemed to resemble a veterinary office with a silver table.
0: So one thing that that you mentioned here, you know, this is there's a lot of tropes in this story. There's yeah, a lot of, totally. you know.
1: And did I mention, I mean, this was like a year after the Travis Walton abductions, which is crazy because, I mean, that's when they originally went camping was a year after. So this stuff was in the Zeitgeist. I mean, obviously by 88, you know.
0: Well, the thing is, there was no internet back then, obviously, so it was more difficult for people to share stories with each other. I mean, they could have gone to UFO conventions and everything, but...
1: but, Well, Wiener did. That's how he met Fowler, you know, but we'll get into that more later.
0: But I remember as a kid being... One of the things that that shocked me so much about this story, um, when they, I guess they got hypnotically regressed in 1988 so they probably went on the unsolved mysteries show a year or two after that
1: That sounds about right yeah So I was
0: about maybe between 8 and 10 years old right. and I heard grown-ups talking about like right, <laughs> like yeah. like grown-ups telling this horrifying story about not being able, about some creatures doing things to them that they didn't want done to them and that just absolutely terrified me yeah so all this horrible. stuff like it does seem kind of comical right now, like like the the the, the probes and the
1: well the way I'm and I'm that kind of stuff, it too. but yeah, I kinda.
0: mean you know coming from like this is bringing back some memories, man,
1: oh yeah, for me, yeah yeah, <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I mean, and actually, while they were doing it, I guess like it was hard to get uh Jim Wiener because he would start going into seizures, he was so stressed out during the hypnosis, you know, jeez, yeah, and so they'd have to stop it and then kind of carry on later. I mean it took a year and a half to get all these testimonies out, you know. Yeah. Um I believe uh the um Fowler was pretty, you know, he would keep it together and stuff. But the hip the hypnotist, the hypno <laughs> Yeah. I can speak, I swear. But yeah, the hypnotist, he would he was getting a little like freaked out by what was being revealed, you know. Right. Um So yeah, but they and it you know, it looked like their friends were in pain and stuff uh, while they were watching them. I mean, it was it was not a pleasant experience at all.
0: Right. And I mean, we can get into the validity of hypnosis and uh, yeah. hypnotic regression, that kind of stuff at, an, at another time. But um,
1: Well, we'll we'll talk about it for sure. You know, yeah. um, I think here I got a little section where we can have a conversation about it. But let me let me get back to the facts here of the of the case. Sounds good. Um, So. As you mentioned, yeah, so after the hypnosis sessions, they all agreed to take polygraph tests in order to prove they weren't lying, and they all passed. And, yeah, we were kind of talking before we started recording that that's a big basis for these 70s, these cases from the 70s, early 80s, is like polygraphs and hypnosis, which is like Mm -hmm. all sketch town, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So they also went on to the Joan Rivers show a year later, which is kind of what you were saying, you know? A year later, who hired their own polygraph examiner, which I assume they also... Past, but Fultz didn't really verify this when he was talking about it. He just kind of glossed over it in the interview. But um, one interesting thing that Fultz did say was that after his co workers at the hospital.
0: They saw him on a show, right? Did yeah, say, yeah. Like,
1: yeah, exactly. His co workers saw him? On the Joan Rivers show. Yeah, oh, I should yeah. have. I, I never tried to find the Joan Rivers footage, actually, but I should watch that. Um, one interesting thing. Yeah, so Fultz said that after his co workers at the hospital that he worked at saw him on the show about ten ex military personnel who who worked with them, many of whom were in the Air Force, came forward to describe episodes of high strangeness that they had experienced while in the service. so that's what we keep coming back to. It seems like pretty commonplace if you're in the military to see crazy stuff, you know mm. um I really wish I could see transcripts transcripts of the hypnosis sessions themselves and from what i understand they are actually a big portion of raymond fowler's book the allagash abductions undisputable evidence of alien intervention um but i haven't read the book myself yet well geez if there's
0: undisputable evidence <laughs> right? Mean, why, why do we even need to read it it's i un- guess,
1: it's undisputable <laughs> yeah hypnosis you cannot argue with it uh-uh. so. can't dispute it case closed but um you know i really wanted to find the good subscribe Uh, good descriptions of the creatures themselves and exactly what happened, but I wasn't too successful in actually finding any. Um, From what I understand, it was hard for the abductees to remember details about their abductors. Uh, One of them described trying to remember what the creatures looked like as being similar to trying to get a fuzzy radio signal to come in clear. Um, It wasn't, it was really difficult to get them into focus basically.
0: Okay. So it's almost like one of those men in black type things from the movie where they, you know, they they zap a portion of your, your memory so you can't remember a certain part
1: yeah i i guess so or maybe they were just so traumatized by it but um yeah they just like see dark figures you know they don't it's hard to see the details which is convenient i think but um you know who knows um but i do have some uh some descriptions from the abductees themselves given in later interviews Uh, most of this information comes from the open minds interviews available both in podcast form and included in a documentary on youtube and I'll put the links in the show notes as usual. Um we'll get to it in a minute here, but I also right when I had pretty much finished up everything, I found an article that kind of gets into uh into like their firsthand accounts. So we'll we'll read from that a little bit in a second here too. But um cool. Um under hypnosis, Jack Weiner remembered that once the beam of light hit the boat um that is when the creatures quote unquote got them somehow. Is what he says. Uh, he thinks it was some kind of a transport beam because the next thing he remembers is that he was lying on his back paralyzed and only able to move his eyes. He could see the other guys sitting immobile on a bench against the wall on the edge of his peripheral vision. Jack was wondering why they didn't help him and he couldn't really see anything because of these extremely bright lights shining down on him. He couldn't even make out the walls or anything. He said it was like a fog. Next, three inhuman figures came out of the haze around him one on each side and one at his feet. The figures had huge black eyes that, in hindsight, Jack thinks may have actually been masks as they looked plastic and were huge. These eyes. Mm. Uh, the creatures all had tiny slits down at the bottom of their faces, but it didn't look like a mouth at all to him, just a little slit.
0: Well, if they were masks, you know, the aliens realized that abducting people is a crime on right. Earth, here on Earth, you know, in pretty much every area. So they didn't want to be identified, I'm sure. Right. Safety um,
1: first. But I don't think. I mean, it doesn't sound like they were people in, in costumes because Jim Weiner describes the creatures as having very thin arms and necks and large heads that look kind of like an ant's head but without the mandibles with the large black eyes and, lar- you know, and, and kind of triangular shape with large in the back of the head and then sloping down to a narrow mouth area but without a mouth. He says in hindsight that they could have been wearing masks as they had big bulbous eyes and just little holes for ears and a mouth, I think he said too. Um, the beings were about as tall as the humans were, some were a little taller and some were a little shorter. And they were wearing skin tight clothing that reminded him of skiers' clothing, almost like a spandex material. Gross. Pretty sexy. I think. <laughs> um, Charles Foltz said that the creatures had four fingers, two on each side, with an articulating pad in the palm of their hand. Think of like a crab hand, but with two fingers on each side instead of pinchers. The creatures seemed to be incredibly dexterous with their hands, and you could feel them when they gripped your arm. Uh, he also describes a plate-like device that was lowered down over his chest, which emitted a light similar to the beam that the craft had emitted. Had emitted. Uh, he said that it, it almost looked like a physical curtain that met with his chest, but it was made out of light, so there he's, like, obsessing about that light again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I picture it kind of like a laser going through fog or something, you know, where it has, like, really sharp defined edges or something.
0: You can see the beam itself.
1: Yeah. Right, but he seemed like, yeah, anyway, I mean, he, he just said it looked so solid, I guess. I don't know.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I, so as I said, I was actually finally able to find a more detailed description of the events on board the craft last night, uh, but I didn't have time to work it into the script. So let's just read it directly from the article, if you will.
0: Sure. And I will do that right now. Uh, In, the tra- in transcripts of their hypnotic regressions, the men variously described being trapped inside a tube. It was a dark tube a tube swirling with sparkling dust-like particles, a tube that drew them up to a frightening place of hallways, chambers, gleaming machines, and examining tables. Quote, They're like bugs. They've got, uh, bug eyes. End quote. Jim blurted under hypnosis, anxiously recalling the thin, spidery creatures in body suits that probed his brother's nude body with their instruments. He watched them touch Jack's eyes, his genitals, the hair on his legs, his toes. The men were all naked and zombie-like throughout the ordeal, moving obediently to commands issued telepathically by their examiners. Their pencil sketches in the book reveal creatures resembling the aliens of science fiction movies. The willowy arms, the elliptical glassy eyes set wide on insect heads, the beaky mouths, the turkey waddle necks, the nimble four-fingered hands lacking opposing thumbs. They poked, prodded, and twisted the camper's bodies, sometimes painfully. At one point, Chuck talked of seeing the aliens place a silvery contraption on Charlie's chest, a thing shaped like the opera house in Sydney, Australia, and then plunging a tube into his ribcage. The men could not speak or move. They could not reach out to help one another. Eventually, the examination ended. Quote, we're into, we're going into the portal. End quote chuck recalled under hypnosis quote and then what happened end quote the hypnotist asked quote it's like we're going down end quote. down where quote to the canoe end quote. with the with the four limp campers back in place the canoe glided toward shore with its bow high as if nudged by an outside force the men felt anesthetized confused They stood on shore and watched the fireball become a pinpoint of light in the heavens and then disappear. Their alien adventure was over. Or was it? Except for Charlie Foltz, each of the men has reported other alien encounters in their lives. Chuck Rack recalled a terrifying alien presence in his room when he was a boy. Jim remembered being visited in his bedroom as a child by a presence he and his brother nicknamed Harry the Ghost. Jack said, in fact, that he and his wife saw a huge UFO just a few years ago while driving on a back road in Vermont. Quote, and twice I've seen a UFO at the bottom of my driveway, and quote, he told me in the in a casual, matter of fact tone of someone who doesn't fret anymore about his credibility.
1: Yeah, so pretty crazy claims there, huh? And we'll we'll get back to the uh, their furl furl their further otherworldly experiences a little more towards the end of the episode. But um yeah, first I wanted to discuss the immediate effect of the Alagash incident seemed to have on the interests of all three of the Open Minds interviewees, uh, basically meaning the Wiener brothers and Foltz. Um, but yeah, that that's the kind of stuff I really wanted to get into. Is like, what was the inside of the ship like? You know what what exactly happened? Because I know there's a lot of accounts of like mind control, and that I I want to say the creatures even even talked to them telepathically, told them to calm down and stuff, or. That they weren't going to hurt him or anything, but uh, I don't know if I'm getting them mixed up because I've been listening to so much of this UFO stuff, you know, <laughs> and they're all pretty similar. So, um, but anyway, uh, Charles Foltz didn't doesn't go into too much detail, but he describes that he had been studying photography and printmaking, but then he was suddenly obsessed with medicine and physiology and medical technology after the incident. And so I thought I thought this was interesting. I don't think this gets covered a lot, but they they all claim to. Kind of had their mindset changed and insights changed and, and interests from the, from the incident, which is crazy, you know? Huh. Which is interesting. It's a compelling story, that's for sure. But um, so, Jim Wiener, like I said, Charles Fultz, I just saw a little blur where he says that. He doesn't really explain any further, but the other, the Wiener brothers, they go into it a little bit more. And uh, uh, Jim Wiener claimed that immediately after the incident, he started having insights into nature. Uh, An example he gives is that the next morning he saw a flock of geese flying in a V formation and he somehow instinctively knew why they flew like that, even though he'd never really thought about that kind of thing before. He said it was because the lead bird causes a wave or vortex and all the other birds are riding on the air wave, which he later researched and discovered to be true. So kind of like, I guess if you're following like a boat, you know, and it causes the waves behind it. Right. and, And they can just kind of glide on. Oh, excuse me. Uh, they can just kind of glide on that. Right. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, I was waving my hand around, <laughs> making waves, and uh, hit the hit the mics down there. Of course, um, he also uh, Jim Wiener, was also looking at a tree a couple of days later, and instinctively understood how the tree bark patterns came about. And he said realizations like this kept happening over and over. Uh, he actually started to use this in his clay patterns and trying to work the processes in nature into his pottery. Uh, he also became obsessive-compulsive compulsive about ancient temple architecture and the belief that ancient temple sites were actually macrochip technology and functioned almost like a computer motherboard, with some of the buildings acting as resistors or capacitors, which he still believes to be true. Uh, he gives an example of the mica subfloors in some of the temples, which acts as a, a sort of insulator. And they're not decorative because they're like a sub sublayer, so there's there's tiles on top of it. They're just there for some reason i don't know weird so
0: mike is micah is that like uh it's not like fool's gold or something is it or am i thinking
1: i i don't really know honestly some kind
0: of uh obviously like rock type thing right
1: yeah but he's saying it's like a resistor you know so probably i got like a stone that doesn't conduct electricity or something but okay um yeah it's pretty cool I mean, it's a cool, cool theory, you know, cool right. concept. Um, right. So Jack Wiener, he he had been majoring in painting and had been into painting landscapes. Uh, but then immediately after the Allagash, he became obsessed with mathematics and trigonometry and geometry and never painted again. Uh, he started making three-dimensional constructions out of paper and strings and tacks based on three-dimensional math and phi, as he puts it, which I, I don't know if that's pi or what. Huh. Um. Jack also became obsessed with the sword saint of Japan, Miyamoto Musashi, and how Miyamoto could figure out the mathematics and geometry of his moves. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I was looking at a, a thing about Miyamoto. It was pretty cool. He's an artist, too, and he has like some pretty good art. He, just, he seems like a cool guy from like 500 years ago.
0: Huh.
1: A stone-cold killer, well, too. Well, man. I have
0: heard the name, but that's about it.
1: Yeah. I was thinking he was the guy that, that alien or like the gods gave him the, the katana or the sword and, and taught him the way of the sword, but he wasn't that guy. Um, so Jack also claims to become ma- mechanically adept after the incident, even though before the incident, he wasn't even able to change a spark plug and uh, he had hated mathematics up until he suddenly became obsessed with it after the incident. As he says, it just started quote unquote pouring out of him.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So some 2001 space odyssey type things. Okay. They touched the monolith, I guess. Um, so, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that I was unable to independently corroborate it, but I've also read that the group later admitted to bringing some psychedelic mushrooms out on the trip. So ah. it could be that, you know, this is where some of the inspiration came from. Um, I find it hard to believe that mushrooms would lead to their UFO abduction experience, though, which is a, a theory I've heard floated quite a few times when people are discussed. this. like, oh, they're on LSD.
0: Well, look, man, I, just hearing yeah. you talking about
1: mathematical
0: formulas and your place in nature and your place in life and everything, these are it, all the hallmarks of a sounds, psychedelic yeah, experience.
1: Totally, being obsessed with patterns. and Right,
0: yeah. being obsessed with patterns and kind of being able to cleave away what's not interesting to you versus what is interesting to you and finding like an introspective journey, like, uh, going on an introspective journey, finding out what makes you tick. And,
1: uh, well, maybe this,
0: this, this is, it's, it's a bit fishy now as, (laughs) as as an older person, uh, re revisiting this story.
1: I've got to say it sounds just like some good storytelling too. You know, yeah, it's very intriguing. Um, but yeah, what, well, what if they went out, got abducted, and then like, you know, they decided to eat some mushrooms like the next day, and they're like, "Whoa, now I have all these insights because of the abduction." <laughs> I don't know.
0: Of all the times,
1: right, right. Um, but I'm not sure where that information about the mushrooms came from. I well, anyway, I'll, I'll keep going here because they do, they do get into a little bit of drugs that they admit to. But uh, one fact that throws a big wrench into the Allagash Force claims is that in September of 2016. Chuck Rack, the fourth abductee, who I haven't really been talking too much about today since I didn't come across any of his personal stories about what had happened, uh, he claimed in an interview with the Fiddlehead Focus that the abduction did not actually occur.
0: The f- The Fiddlehead Focus? Yeah, I
1: think it's like a local Maine paper. I was trying to find out where they're, they're, they're headquartered in Maine. Well, so. they
0: better be in Fiddlehead, Maine. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they weren't in Fiddlehead, but um. Crap. anyway, yeah. I like the name of it, but... Yeah. Uh, so Rack doesn't actually dispute either of the sightings of the UFO. And he says that the night on Big Eagle Lake, he, uh, quote, had an uncomfortable feeling of being stared at. I turned around and saw this very, very bright globe of light in the sky, end quote, and described it as quote, changing color from white to red to green in a liquid kind of melding motion, unquote. Um, Rack also dismisses the Rangers explanation the next day of it being from a hardware store opening 75 miles away, saying there's no way that explains what he saw. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Chuck rack now claims that his hypnosis experience led to no recall on his part of any abduction or medical experiments by strange beings. And that quote, the reason I supported the story at first was because I wanted to go make money. I wanted to make money. Uh, We were compelled to stay together, all speculating that this thing could go into millions of dollars for each of us. We made very little, end quote. Rack also says that he was, quote, definitely stoned when we went out on the lake just Uh before we got that sighting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, End quote. As Jack had brought some Afghan temple ball to share with everyone. What
0: the hell is Afghan temple ball?
1: (laughs) No idea. I'm imagining it's a, a strain of marijuana, but I have no idea.
0: Oh, my God. Well, if it's from
1: Afghanistan, that's probably
0: opium, man. In
1: it? Oh, well, I guess it could be, yeah, yeah. I mean I think I think there's some Afghani Kush out there too. Is there? But, uh, okay. I'm no right. expert, but yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Afghan temple ball. It doesn't go in there, it just drops Afghan temple ball in the article. Like, okay. Good God. Apparently everyone in Maine knows what that is. You know, <laughs> but uh <laughs> Uh, Rack also denies that the bonfire the group built before heading out on the water was actually as big as everyone claims and was made up of small logs about three inches in diameter. So he wasn't surprised that it had burned out so quickly. I think it's worth noting that Jim said like they could see it blazing when they were paddling over to it, though. So anyway. Yeah. Um, the article also interviewed Foltz and the Wiener brothers who stand by their original claims, of course. Uh, Foltz still denies having any drugs or alcohol besides one beer each on the first and last night of the trip and denies that the logs they used in the fire were as small as Rack claims, stating that some of the logs were about the diameter of his leg, easily a good 10 inches, which seems (laughs) funny, Thunder thighs over there. (laughs) Uh, Fultz describes Rack as a man with a violent temper who has been banned from UFO conventions, saying that saying they now steer clear of Rack because... "Quote the guy is a loose cannon and a mental disaster area." End quote. That guy's a mess. And and if you have ten inch thighs, I don't I don't mean to laugh at you. It Just it seems large, you know.
0: I don't know, man. Hulk Hogan had the twenty four inch pythons. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I'm like just trying Hulk to. Hogan's... I mean, I guess that
1: yeah, ten inches isn't that crazy, but it's just <laughs> okay.
0: Like okay, we're talking diameter. We're not talking circumference or you know.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think ten inch circumference would be pretty small. Right. Um. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> it just seems funny, too. Like, if I was naming my, like, comparing something to my thigh, like, that's for right. 10 inches. You know? <laughs> 10 inch diameter. But um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so Jim Weiner adds, quote, I personally believe that Mr. Rack's self aggrandizing rationalizations and disparaging accusations are simply the rantings of an angry and resentful individual on whom his former friends have turned their backs, end quote. And Ray Fowler said, quote, Chuck Rack did not have a very detailed recall of the abduction under hypnosis. He is the type of person who needs to be in control. He was not happy not being able to have detailed recall of the abduction portion of the incident. Thus, several years after the investigation, he claimed that no one was abducted, end quote. Uh, Jim Wiener describes that shortly after the R- Joan Rivers interview, Chuck Rack came to the rest of the group with a proposal to refute the handling of the case by Raymond Fowler, the hypnotist Tony Constantino, and MUFON, Quote, thereby creating controversy, which was, in Mr. Rack's mind, exactly what the media and the public crave and pay for, end quote. The group was disgusted with Rack's ethics, and Wiener writes that it was, quote, glaringly clear that Mr. Rack's behavior was becoming increasingly pathological, end quote. Jeez, man. So there's some infighting yeah, and some uh, some spat- drama. I mean, obviously, Chuck Rack's calling, calling these guys out, you know, but... Um, and they they don't like it, and they.
0: Well, I don't like the Allagash Four breaking up, man. I know. I want, I want them to get get the band back together and go out to, go out to
1: Allagash for
0: another maybe for, for the fifty trip. years. Yeah. Chuck
1: Rack will get back on, and they can yeah. go on a money making tour or something. But yeah, what do you make of that drama? I mean, that's.
0: Well, if it, it, I got to take Chuck Rack at his word, right? To be honest, I mean, yeah. if he's been, I mean, it doesn't say why he's been banned from UFO conventions, right? Well, they
1: said yeah, he would like he almost got in a fight or he was like violent and is what they said, you know? So I don't know. Maybe he got, got angry. About he just something goes running or... in
0: there and starts clotheslining believers. Yeah. I don't Steer know. Clear man. from that guy. But, but it
1: sounds like they were definitely talking about making money off it and stuff, you know, which is kind of,
0: here's the thing, man. If mm-hmm. something like that happened to me, I mm-hmm. would probably want to make money too. I would really oh, be like, I've had this horrendous trauma inflicted upon me by something. And I want to not have to work for the rest of my life. Right. But then again, this is something like this has never happened to me before.
1: Yeah, and if yeah. this
0: actually did truly happen to them, or if they truly believe it happened to them, this had a profound impact on them. And you could either go into the the Wiener Brothers slash Foltz category, where you try and be honest about it theoretically, or you go in the Chuck Rack denial. Right. Um. I mean, assuming this did happen, Chuck Rack is is in major denial. Mm-hmm. Or he's like the only guy that's telling the truth in this whole thing.
1: Well, that's what I was saying. Cause it, you know, they, you know, Fowler says that I guess I'd have to read the book to really know and see what Fowler's quote or not Fowler, but rack's quotes were, you know, while under hypnosis. But what if they just left him in the boat and then like they took the other guys, you know, or or something like that. And so uh,
0: the, the three out of the four were abducted, not right. all four of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he's making it up, but they're all like, yeah, this happened to me, you know? Um, oh
0: man those scheming aliens dude
1: yeah well the scheming allagash four or scheming chuck rack i guess but yeah it's just yeah obviously there's some infighting going here and
0: uh i'm just bummed up that the the fab four aren't together anymore. right <laughs>
1: and they make a they're a beautiful group you know damn um yeah it's kind of a bummer there but do you think I mean is there e- any reason to take it seriously? I mean that's my hypothesis I would come up with or unless he's trying to stir up controversy to get like a, an exclusive interview and make millions off it or I don't know, you know. To
0: take what seriously?
1: Is there any reason to take take their story seriously if one of them came forward and said, "Yeah, we totally made this up," you know or like he says it it wasn't a hoax, it's brilliant storytelling, you know, but
0: hmm. well, I think <sighs> It certainly throws water on the fire. (laughs) It kind of puts out the flame, I guess. Whereas, uh, you know, I was really compelled by this story, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I guess. It kind of, um, it fueled my interest in UFO stuff. Right. By scaring the crap out of me as a kid. Um,
1: but there's a lot but of stuff no. that made a big impact on me when I was a right. Kid. And I looked back at right, hold and like, up, you yeah. know. I mean, this is I, I still don't know where I stand, but let me let me just finish off this, and then we'll we'll have a little discussion about the the pros and cons of Sounds this great, one or man. whatever, you know. Sounds great. Um, because the one last thing that we kind of hinted at already is how they some of them have had experiences after the Allagash incident. Um, so I wanted to cover cover that a little bit. Jim Weiner claims that he and Charlie Foltz had another abduction experience in 1995 in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, They both went into hypnotic regression with Bud Hopkins to investigate the matter. And Jim says, after those sessions, it appeared that they were involved in another abduction. Um, I believe that both of them were heavily involved in the UFO community and spoke at UFO conferences at the time of the interview that I listened to, which was in uh, 2015. Um, Where were they both abducted from? Well, that's the thing. I, I I mean, this this incident seems to have been proved, quote unquote, in much the same way that the first incident was, but I tried quite a few internet searches to get some more details on this. I couldn't find anything on it, you know? Huh. Um, so I guess it needed the, uh, the unsolved mysteries bump for people to really be interested in it or something. But uh, I mean, why would you believe him on this one, but not the other one, you know? Um,
0: yeah.
1: So... The the reason I know about it is because he mentions it in the interview. He's like, yeah, you know, we were both abducted, and they'll he'll talk more about that at the blah 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 conference because the the guy that was interviewing him was, you know, kind of involved in this UFO conference or something. So it sounds like they're going around. They got like a, you know, they got a little spiel to to share there. But I guess there's no book on it or anything like that. But anyway, I kept I kept trying different combinations, just like you know, Foltz and and Wiener and Hopkins and. 1995 abduction like I, I just couldn't find anything you know Alligash stuff kept popping up but and 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 I was reading a little bit on Hopkins and he was involved with a lot of people that so yeah he uh... I, I just don't know what to make of it but it, it just it seems weird that if these guys are authorities on it and they're believed because they got hypnotized and maybe they haven't taken a lie detector on this second one or something but it, maybe it just seems a little too good to be true I don't I don't know but it's it's disappointing that I couldn't find anything on it you know
0: well, I, yeah, with with regards to Bud Hopkins, I mean, I I read his. Um, I think he wrote "Missing Time" and. Uh,
1: the God, what's visitors? The is it or something intruders. like that? Or intruder. Intruder. Yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds right. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's he either wrote or he co-wrote it with that Mac guy. Um, right. Um, and you know, he's. I think Bud Hopkins was i think he's like an artist another person who's just like an artist by trade oh really okay and then he got into the the ufo community and i think he started doing the hypnotic regression therapy stuff right did he actually yeah i think just so. to be clear did hopkins actually do the 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 regression that, on these guys well like
1: i said i couldn't find it he just kind of mentions that as like we did regression with hopkins and and then okay. they move on and he's like you know folts will be talking about that at this conference okay so um I did see that Jim Weiner was involved in a lot of UFO conferences, or I think he's like a board member on one of them or, or whatever. That's probably not accurate, but, um, you know, <laughs> a director of one of them. Um, so Jim Weiner also claims that he will sometimes hear strange, almost mechanical humming noises, both a low rumble and high pitched ones. Um, in the interview, the open minds interview, he like, he kind of imitates them and stuff, but I won't, I won't try that here. You'd probably be better at it, but, um, <laughs> it's like uh, I just said I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> kind of, but it's like yeah, yeah, basically just a low rumbling and then nah, not like that. <laughs> I don't even really remember, but um
0: <laughs> I'll stop.
1: Um so Jim says that it's not in his head. It is an actual sound, but he has verified it isn't coming from his house. He's actually turned all the power in his house off and he could still hear it. Um, he claims that his brother Jack and Jack's wife Mary can also hear the noises, and sometimes he'll be visiting his brother. They'll be out sitting together on the deck, and they will all hear the noises. Like uh, Jack will look at him and go, you guys hear that? And they go, yep. <laughs> Wink. Yeah, so um, I don't, I'm not sure what that signifies. But uh, Jim Weiner also claims that he will sometimes wake up and feel a malevolent energy in the room. So take from that what you will. Um,
0: geez, man, this guy is,
1: he kind of hinted that like his doc, you know, cause he's going to the doctors for his spinal injury a lot, I think, you know, and, uh, epilepsy and I don't know. I didn't even know how to report it because he just kind of like hints, at- hints at it. He's like, my doctors was asking me if I underwent like physical trauma. And he said, no, you know, <laughs> well, he said, no. <laughs> Well, no, I mean like recently, like or he asked him like if he fell out of bed or fell off a ladder recently or something like that. And he's like, No, but his doctor doesn't seem to not believe him or something. So Okay. It, it's I'm kinda a, yeah.
0: It, well, here's the thing, man. I'm mm-hmm. not a neurologist, I'm not a medical guy in any way possible, but it seems like any kind of traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. can lead to auditory and or visual hallucinations in people. And
1: But what about Jack and Mary?
0: They might be yes men.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, you hear that? He's
0: like, you guys hear that, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, Jim, we do.
1: Well, right. what about this then? I'll explain this, because uh, Jack Weiner also seems to have a few abduction, or at least high strangeness strange, high strangeness scenarios following the Allagash incident. I think was it Jim or Jack that in that passage you read that said he'd seen craft on his driveway? Because he doesn't get into that in the stuff I was listening to, but. uh I think it was Jack, right? Yeah, Jack seems to be a little bit more. Um, yeah, it was Jack. More like the guy that's saying like, "Yeah, I'm I'm talking to aliens all the time," or you know, he. It's it's interesting to listen to, but uh, some of these seem so. Yeah, he was involved in some high Stranger scenarios. I'll, I'll kind of. It's just. I don't know. That's where it kind this of sounds like a high con man thing center. where he's like, oh, this weird stuff, you know, like, to, you know, but some of these, um, they seem to involve his wife and son as well. Um, I won't go too much into these. Is, you know, there's not a lot of details that he gives either in this short little interview thing. But um, basically, Jack is convinced that these creatures have been back several times. Um, he does, you know, he's cryptic about it, but he makes a few extraordinary claims. He says that the last time he was taken by, quote, whatever these things are, end quote. He was shown an image of our galaxy, which was a bar galaxy, not a spiral galaxy. They showed him a section of the galaxy and told him that there are many highly advanced civilizations in these star systems, which Jack says were in the Orion Spur, not that far from us. Uh, Later, Jack saw a magazine that confirmed that the Milky Way galaxy was a bar galaxy, which wasn't known at the time, apparently. Um, I didn't even really know that. Do you know when that was know discovered about, or anything? No, I have no idea. It's basically like it, it's. I think it's a type of spiral galaxy, but instead of like a lot of different arms coming out of the center, which is how I kind of picture it. It's like a a bar that kind of trails, like like it's spinning, a Milky Way bar, know.
0: like a like a bar of Milky Way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm making hand motions trying to explain it, but um. Anyway, you can you can do a quick gurgle gurgle search. Do a quick uh, Google search on on bar galaxies. You'll you'll be able to pull something up or Milky Way bars if you want. Um.
0: Yeah, just look up Milky Way bars. <laughs> yeah,
1: you'll you'll find tons of stuff on there. Um, so so Jack also claimed that these advanced civilizations get their energy from unconditional love. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: I bring you love.
1: So yeah, oh I wanted to end on God. this note because awesome. I like it. But uh, <laughs> oh man! So obviously Jack had trouble understanding what the creature was talking about. But then the creature reached out and touched Jack, and Jack was overwhelmed with a profound feeling of pure love. And the creature told Jack that he was now ready. Jack asked what he was ready for, and the creature answered, "When the time comes, you'll know." And then he sent Jack back. So apparently the creatures that abducted and traumatized these four men are overflowing with unconditional love, which is how highly advanced civilizations are powered.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So not even, not even like a metaphorical way, like through unconditional, like you just love something enough yeah. and you can run a light bulb on it.
1: Which is cool, man. What if that's true?
0: <laughs> we just haven't achieved that level of unconditional
1: love. Well, I don't for know our, if they
0: like, is it unconditional love for yourself or for others? Or what is it just in the general sense?
1: Yeah, I don't, that's all, that's all he really said. I tried to include all the details on there, but
0: these scary insectoid things have got it all figured out. (laughs) Yeah. They love
1: us, man. They love, yeah, I don't know. They just love. I mean, maybe that's why they erase the energy because they don't want to hurt anyone. They're just doing their experiments. kind of like if you, you know, if you picked up a deer out of the forest and you wanted to test it for a disease or something, or you wouldn't want to hurt it, you know, you want to release it. Yeah. Um. yeah anyway so uh, strange story <laughs> um, yeah the way, God, the way man, Jack does it because he's like well I haven't told anyone this publicly but the last time I talked to these guys <laughs> it's just like I don't know it seems as you like to say a lot it seems kind of culty you know yeah. like, it seems like trying to if you keep
0: going to look man i want i have not gone to a ufo convention i, I
1: want, imagine there's a lot of like crystal people there you know not <laughs> yeah, not cri- well, like crystal probably meth. both yeah probably both crystal meth but you know <laughs> like the your average hippie that's like
0: as in like reiki like healing crystals and that kind of stuff yeah
1: or, i don't i don't okay. know i just think that's like a stereotype right or like woo yeah, some yeah. people that believe in some out there stuff or well let know. me tell
0: you something there's nothing out there about unconditional love no no man that's not okay. from, that's not that far out man Oh no, no. Unconditional no, no. Yeah, love yeah, yeah. is unconditional love is it's within our grasp. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I think it's But yeah, can it run my PlayStation? It. I don't think so, dude. Well, I
1: don't know if that's what they meant or what, you know. Um
0: Well, they get their energy from unconditional
1: love. Right. Well, I think we were talking about that, right? Or uh what was that in the the Mirage Man one or something where the guy's like, Yeah, what if these things feed on dark energy or something, you know? I don't know. It just it goes back to like religious stuff where God is love or Jean is love, you know? Yeah. Um, and demons and I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's interesting though. You know, what if there is some kind of, uh, energy out there that we can't perceive that. Well, I that's think it fueled go- by it, love or well, what it, spirit, you know, it's
0: ghostbusters too, man. It was all that sludge. Yeah, true. True know? that.
1: But it's that was powered by bad emotions. Right.
0: So. Well, the thing is, you know, or no, the, remember that? Like when they got. They played
1: rock and roll to get the Statue yeah. of Liberty to move, right? Yeah. Yeah, they played some, they played some Jackie funk.
0: Wilson. They played some "Higher and Higher" by Jackie Wilson, and uh, you
1: know, maybe they got it figured know, out.
0: Charged it up.
1: Hmm. Just... Well, I mean, I mean, it's kind of a, a tangent, but yeah. Uh, uh, what's his face, Doctor Raymond or Doctor Raymond Stance Yeah. Yeah, he was a. Uh,
0: Dan Aykroyd, you yeah, mean? yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, he's all—he's really into this stuff. Oh so that, yeah, that, that's I know. Probably where <laughs> all that came from. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, that's that's the story. You know, that's all the details I could get there. Um, I'd be interested to read the book because I'd, I'd like to see the hypnosis session. Hypnosis session. The transcript. I mean. yeah, 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 I want to
0: see the transcript, and I want to see. I mean. Depending on when this was done, maybe they videotaped the, the hypnosis sessions, but I assume those probably would have gotten out there.
1: I, I was trying to find some transcripts or, you know, the hypnosis. I, I only did a couple of Google searches, you know, but uh, I, I couldn't find anything because uh, that's what I was really interested. I wanted like firsthand accounts of what 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 these spaceships are like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I guess that's like a one of the famous I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in UFO communities there's definitely like different classification classifications of different type of aliens. Um and one of them is mantis type aliens, which everyone seems to agree these are, which makes sense from the, the description there. Um that would be terrifying to have huge Yeah with the, the hands, heads. hands too. Yeah with the yeah. hands
0: and the insect heads and um
1: if you're really interested and you haven't seen it, I would look uh you know, you can click the link in the notes, but the the documentary on YouTube the open minds documentary that one has, it has like the interview from the podcast, which is like I said, where a lot of this stuff came from and um, they kind of spice it together or, you know, edit it all together and they put a lot of the artwork in there too while they're talking. So it's pretty cool. Like the, the pictures of their hands are, are pretty cool. You know, um, nice. did it, did it make sense? Can you picture them or you, yeah, you might've seen like, it on unsolved mysteries? Well, too, I right?
0: think it's kind of like our human hands, but like with the middle finger removed so that, yeah, um, except it's like a claw, sides. you know,
1: so it's like two, basically all opposing thumbs, you know, like four, four fat fingers where they can, Uh, I don't know, and it creases in the middle. Yeah. Um okay. And then, and then kind of like little pads on the palm that they can grab with too, you know, so. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh uh, man. And then, yeah, like I said, it's kind of interesting because the Walton, that's, I, I mean, that's, I found a lot of similarities between this one and the Walton story kind of, maybe just cause they all happened in the woods, you know, and they got friends kind of backing each other up that all witnessed it and the lie detectors and, you know, just a lot of the same stuff. And it makes sense cause, cause Walton was in November, 1975 and this allegedly happened a year later, but even though it was, you know, 10, 12 years later when they were actually doing all the hypnosis and stuff. So, right. Um, obviously Walton would have been a big deal, and UFO committee. I don't, do you remember when fire in the sky came out? Was it around that time? Like around 88, you know,
0: let me look it up because I remember that was man. That's
1: so it makes sense. Like, well, especially if, I mean, even Chuck rack agrees that they saw the UFO. So they're like, Hey, we got to, we could, you know, fire in the sky came out in 93. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's, yeah, the, another interesting aspect now is that the admission of guilt, or admission of guilt, you know, admission of lying by Chuck Rack. Um,
0: it was a racket is basically what he's saying.
1: <laughs> right. Um, God. Chuck Rack. It's a cool name. And, um, but you think they, they could, I mean, are there career abductees? Like, do you make money going around to these? I, th- I think we speculated on this before, you know, kind of with Bob Lazar I, and stuff. You know what? I
0: don't know, man. I mean, if you're. It,
1: if If it's it, true that you could go around to convention to convention, like making a couple hundred um once a week especially for retirement like that's not a bad gig to go it's like kind of like a rock rock star life you know
0: they're famous i remember these guys i remember what they look like yeah yeah you know and or what they looked like
1: that unsolved mysteries um, one was it was mentioned a lot in all the research i was doing and i think it made a big impact on a lot of people yeah
0: yeah it did and especially and you and i were talking about this i think maybe a week ago um Charlie Foltz features prominently in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. And yeah. Foltz is like, you know what? I don't care if you believe me or not. Guess I, what? I this that. happened.
1: Yeah, I saw that. He's like, I don't care. And I'm
0: like, oh, man, this is a serious grown-up. Like, right. being serious about scary stuff.
1: It's kind of like Walton, though, where it's like, you want to believe them because they seem so earnest, but it's like, man, that's how a good con man would be, too. And even the way they present all the information and stuff, you know? Um,
0: yeah, I think... He in all likelihood, I think
1: this is a this is this is made up. Yeah. I think
0: number two is that, in terms of likelihood, is that they all had a psychedelic experience, right? Like a significant one, maybe to the point where they forgot that they took a bunch of psychedelics. Maybe maybe, maybe they were they on psychedelics and yeah. they
1: got drugged by the military, and uh,
0: and um, then I think I think you know a, a distant third would be that they were actually abducted by aliens out there, but. right? Regardless, I think it's a hell of a story, and it's really, really creepy, man. Yeah, just to think about.
1: They should make a movie out of it because that's. It might have been a better movie than Fire in the Sky. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: They. uh, Yeah, I I agree, dude.
1: One hundred percent. And then, um, let's see here. Another theory was that you know they they used it to sell. They thought they could sell a lot of art and stuff, which which isn't a bad theory either, you know, or it wouldn't hurt. Um they do have they have that website like I said the links in there and it's mostly like a couple screen wallpapers for 2 bucks each or something. I almost wanted to buy one of them. They have one that's a picture of the hand holding like a tool or something.
0: Oh. There's only like
1: four of them on there I think. Um but it's interesting and it's uh, I forget what it's called but like UFO Allegash ufo brothers or something like that um the the other thing that that kind of goes towards it being a con for money was obviously they're talking about how to make money off it or at least chuck rack was um mm-hmm. and then in a in the 1998 article that we read a, a section of jack Weiner mentioned that paramount pictures was talking to them about a potential tv movie deal so they couldn't do an interview for it or something like oh, a direct I- interview
0: it's, uh... Yeah, it starts <laughs> to get a little out. more yeah. sus, as the kids say. Yeah. Um,
1: and I mean, we can speculate all all night long. I, I want to get your your take on. It. I guess you gave it already, but uh you know, that's the thing. Like, you get I get roped in by these guys, and then I just think about like, well, what if they were just trying to lie to me? Like, mm-hmm. but then I mean, how can you ever? I guess that's where you got to go to the evidence because like if you're telling the truth, you're going to be earnest like that. And if you're lying, you're going to be earnest like that. So who knows, you know? Yeah. I, I,
0: but I, I'm leaning towards it being just com- a complete fabrication. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, uh, a complete, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, uh, could, all right guys, you know, you know what? And you know, t- to Charlie Foltz's credit, he doesn't care if I believe him or not. So yeah, I know I'm not, I'm not hurting his if yeah, yeah. I say, Charlie, I'm sorry, man. I don't really believe you anymore, but, yeah
1: yeah i gotta say charlie fultz has a has a great voice man if you watch that documentary too it's like man that guy's got got some bass (laughs) (laughs) he sounds cool man and then um yeah and the way they just start like hinting at things and they kind of vaguely gloss over them so it's like it's almost like a master storyteller like wait wait what did you say you know i don't know but then again if you're just talking like I kind of do that on this podcast. I'm not very interesting, but you know, I just kind of gloss over stuff, you know, Tom's making a face cause I'm beating myself up, but you know, Always, you know, man, um,
0: the unconditional love thing, dude. I mean, well, uh, what runs on unconditional love?
1: I don't know. I like that actually, but, uh, yeah,
0: it's a rad, like, you know, mindset to have and everything, but es- you don't need a UFO story for us to like, you know, get behind that.
1: Especially if that's true. Well, in all these cases, the aliens are, are telepathic, you know? So obviously like, um, it'd be great if everyone, I mean, that would cause a lot more empathy if you could read each other's minds, you know? Yeah. Um, and then no wonder why we're not part of the intergalactic community, you know? <laughs> cause and- we're
0: still, we're still in the, uh, beat each other up over, Over land land and food and resources Phase of our evolution
1: I mean it's hard to get to a point where you unconditionally Love every I mean treat your enemies Like a Like love your enemies that's tough and that's straight out of the the Scripture you know which is crazy
0: Replicators if we had replicators Then you know we wouldn't have need for all sorts of uh,
1: Well then you would need the replicators You know Can you replicate a replicator
0: Geez I hope so
1: Right, right. That'll be sick. That's uh, yeah. Um, But I, I got to say the, the last piece that kind of puts them in a bad light is that, I mean, Jim Wiener was definitely aware of UFO stuff because he went and met Fowler at a UFO convention, you know? So yeah, it just, again, that makes it a little suspicious where it's, he's not just like, I don't know, even if he was the ringleader and said, Hey guys, come on, we got, we got to do this. And a lot of, a lot of people that were discussing it that I heard seem to think the 12 years later thing is, is verifiable proof since they didn't right away just start talking about it or something. But then if you're making up a story, it's, it's a lot harder to disprove something that happened 12 years ago or, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it kind of makes it more believable because it's like, you know, I don't know. Just, uh, yeah. So it would be a good, another good lying or storytelling technique basically. But I feel so, like I'm overly skeptical on this show sometimes, but sometimes I hope health, healthy dose of skepticism is a good thing. Yeah, it's tough.
0: Heaping dose of skepticism.
1: I guess I got to read the book first, but then, then I have to believe what, what Raymond Fowler's saying too. So I don't know. Be interesting
0: to see if it's still in print.
1: Of course, after what, what my grandmother was telling me about and, uh, and all this other military stuff and all the stories out there. I don't know. I just don't know what to believe, man. <laughs> But anyway, I think uh, I think what the aliens figured out was love, love, love.
0: All you need is love, yeah.
1: guys. <laughs> anyway, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. If you still are, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I uh, <laughs> <laughs> love you guys. Take take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.